You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our senior pastor, Jeremy Havlin. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, but I'm going to give you two different passages of Scripture that if you want to, you can turn there. They're not, none of these verses are going to be on the screen, but I'm also going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 25, and I'm going to actually be in Daniel chapter 7. So if you want to, there's a lot of different passages today, Ephesians chapter 2, Isaiah 25. I'm actually going to be in Isaiah 25 first, and then we'll be in Ephesians 2 and then we'll be in Daniel 7. So if you wanna do it that way, Isaiah, Old Testament, chapter 25, and then Ephesians, and then back to the Old Testament in Daniel. So as we go through this book of Ephesians, we're gonna be navigating through it. There's no way to cover all the content. I mentioned this last week, but there's a website you can go to. It's a great resource. It's completely free. It's called EnduringWord.com, and it breaks down verse by verse, the different content that you can read in scripture. So if you're interested in doing a separate study on the book of Ephesians, if you go to EnduringWord.com, completely free, you can go to the book of Ephesians, and it's it's basically several different commentaries that have been pulled together for a very quick synopsis. It's a great way to study scripture. So as we go through the book of Ephesians as a church, if you wanna do a deeper dive, verse by verse into it, EnduringWord.com is a great way to do that. Now, there is gonna be no way to be able to cover all the content, so I encourage you to study on your own. But as we go into Ephesians, and specifically Ephesians chapter two, there's main themes that are gonna just be significant in this passage of scripture. So two main themes in Ephesians that we're gonna be looking at, and these are massive themes. And one of the reasons I love the book of Ephesians, and many love the book of Ephesians, is that unlike the other letters that Paul wrote, Paul in his other letters is addressing specific issues to the churches that he's writing to, but in Ephesians, He's in jail and he's writing these grand, this grand doctrine, these grand concepts so that we can have this idea, so that we can have the, the thought processes behind the greatness and the supremacy of Christ and the church and what it means. And so it's this beautiful articulation of these really incredible concepts. So there's two main themes that matter to us and matter to Paul and we see them play out in Ephesians. The first is this, is Christ. This, Christ. Now, Something you may not know, maybe you do know, but Christ is not a name, Christ is a title. Christ actually comes from the Greek word Christos, which means anointed one or chosen one. So when you watch the series, The Chosen, if you're on YouTube and you check that out, basically it's called Chosen One because that's the name of Christ. So he's Jesus, Yeshua, but he's Christ. He is, and the Hebrew significance of that is the word Messiah. And so when you open up the Old Testament, there's many passages of scripture that point that in the future, God would send his anointed one, his chosen one, to come and do some very significant and important things. And so when Paul writes in Ephesians, he's talking about Christ. And we tend to think of it, well, it's Jesus Christ. It's his name. But I want you to think of it for a second as what it was meant to be. It's the title that the God who created everything is sending the anointed one for a specific task and purpose. The title is significant, and so Christ, this this one whom God sends, is absolutely incredible. So let me show you, I'm gonna share with you Isaiah 25, a passage in the Old Testament that's prophetic, speaking to what the anointed one would do in the future. In Isaiah 25 and verse seven, again, these are not gonna be on the screen, but God's word says this, on this mountain he will destroy 
the shroud that enfolds all peoples. Talk about a battle cry right there. I mean, that's absolutely incredible. The sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from the earth. The Lord has spoken. So here you have, I mean, this is some epic stuff. This is some absolutely transformative things. You have Christ, the main theme, and in Isaiah 25, and by the way, there's roughly 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that point to God sending his anointed one, his chosen one. Isaiah 61 is another passage. You can look it up. In fact, it's one that Jesus opens up and reads when he's walking on earth. It's incredible. And so Isaiah 25, I just, I love it. It says this, on this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples. If you ever get a chance to, to visit Israel and you ever get a chance to, to stand where Jesus stood and to be there, it, it's, it's seeing where Christ did this, where Isaiah 25 talks about it, this place in which God sent his only begotten son. I heard it said this way, I've shared this before, but God died on the very hill he created. Can you imagine that? He died on the very hill he created. Why? To absolutely to absolutely swallow up death forever. I love how it speaks that. So this main theme of Christ is significant to all of us today, significant in Isaiah, significant to Paul as he's writing in Ephesians. But the other thing that's significant, big theme, is the church. Is the church. Now, I'm a history person. I love and am fascinated by history. Let me show you a picture of the ancient world. Now, if you don't like history, just, just hold on for a second. I think this is kind of cool. So this is not a very good picture. It's a rendering of a place called Caesarea Philippi. Now, there are multiple temples in this location. I'm gonna explain what's happening here. In the ancient world, this place was known as a place of, of worship for multiple different gods and deities. On the far left, that long one, that was a temple to Augustus. It was built to worship the, the, the Caesar of Rome. So Augustus is actually worshiped in the temple at the far left. Behind that temple, you can see there's kind of an opening. That's a massive cave complex that goes down and there's, there's water down there and it's pretty significant. Next to that, there's, in between the two temples, there's a courtyard. That's the courtyard of Pan. Pan was a deity of the ancient world. So that was a courtyard of Pan. And so people would worship Pan. Then next to that, that was the temple of Zeus. And obviously, you've probably seen a thousand movies, you, you know Zeus being one of the Greek gods. So he was worshiped at this place right here. And then you had two basically areas. There was an upper tomb and a lower tomb that was there. So people in the ancient world would travel, literally do pilgrimages to come to these massive places of worship. And they would come and they would offer their sacrifices at this place. And this is where they would come and worship the deities that they believed in, whether it was Augustus or Zeus or Pan. And so it was a very significant place in the ancient world. And it's this very backdrop. It's this scene right here that when you open the Bible up in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus takes his disciples, not everybody, just his closest followers, and he takes them up to a place called Caesarea Philippi. It was the most northern place Jesus was. And he sits his disciples down in Matthew 16, and he asks them point blank, he says, listen, who do you guys say that I am? 
And I can only imagine that when Jesus asks them this question that they're overlooking this entire complex because this is where they are. And they're overseeing the people go into worship and leave worship. They're hearing the hustle and bustle of the crowds. They're imagining potentially the songs that are being sung, the different festivities or things that were going on in the background. And here you have all of these temple complexes and then you have Jesus with seemingly no resources at his disposable. Yes, he's done some miracles, but he doesn't seem to be wealthy in comparison with the rulers of the day. He doesn't have armies at his disposal. And he's sitting here in Matthew 16 and he says, who do you say that I am? And, and you know, if you know the story, Matthew 16, Peter gets up and says, you are the Messiah. You are Jesus. And, and, and Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, for this was not given to you by, by, by human, but by God himself. God told you this, reveal this to you. And then Jesus goes on to make a declaration. He goes, and you will now be called rock, and on this rock I will build my church. And then he says, not even the gates of hell will prevail against my church. It's a pretty epic moment in Matthew 16. The cave behind that temple complex, the one of Augustus, that was known as the gates of hell. Because it was so deep that it was believed that if you fell into it, you would literally fall into hell itself. And I can only imagine Jesus with his closest disciples. They're watching. This is where the money is. This is where the power is. This is where the people are going. And they're on the side of a hill with a guy who seemingly has, yes, he's done some miracles, but has nothing to his name. And he says, who do you think that I am? And they say, well, you, you're, you're the savior of the world. It seems crazy. And yet today, let me show you a picture of what it looks like today. Today, all of it's gone. And the reason why I like to start contrast is this. Today, that place is in, you can visit it. The temples are gone. They've been torn down through wars and different things, through, through age. They no longer exist. The cave complex is still there, and you can visit that. But the church of Jesus is in almost every nation in the entire world. I have worshiped God in multiple languages. I have worshiped God in the middle of the jungle and in the middle of a city. I have worshiped God in big places and in small places. I have literally been in remote mountain towns where there has been a church set up and people opened up the word of God and the name of Jesus was proclaimed. And so when Paul's writing here about Christ swallowing up death and then he talks about the church He's talking about things that have had an unbelievably earth-shaking impact for all of us in this place. It's pretty incredible. And so I find it, listen, kingdoms have come and gone. Some of the largest kingdoms that have ever existed, Rome fell. Then the Mongol Empire built up incredible power and then it fell and yet the church that Jesus established is still here. Kids are still being dedicated. The word of God is still being opened. And people are saying, how does what he did change me? So these main themes are what we see. Now, I'm gonna keep going here. Let me have a quick little thought, ready? As we read Ephesians, I hope that we have the right heart. Now, here's the right heart, ready? It's a, very, it's a little bit long, but here it is. It's not about what we can do with Ephesians. It's about what Ephesians will do with us. And so my heartbeat is that we would not go to this and say, what am I gonna allow into my life? My heartbeat is the other way around. Okay, God, what is it that your word wants to do in me? My son, he's five, and we have one of those apple slicers that when you go to make apple slices, you just smash down on the apple and it creates the, all those eight slices. And so he's had this thing lately where we slice down the apples, he sees the seeds of the apple and he wants to collect the seeds of the apple and go outside and plant seeds in the ground and have apple trees. And it's absolutely cute, and I'm like, oh, bless his heart, that's so sweet. 
And so we'll collect the apple seeds and he's been wanting to go outside. And I've had this conversation with him like, bud, listen, I know you wanna go outside, you wanna plant the seeds, but, but you can't just throw them in the ground. The ground has to be good to be able to have the seed be able to actually turn into, turn into an apple tree. So it matters where you put the seed. So I watched him one time, he went outside, he was adamant, he wanted to do something with the seeds and he just sprinkled them. And I'm like, that's not enough. I'm like, dude, you, you gotta bury it. But it matters, the ground that you put the seed in matters. He obviously connect the dots. Jesus said, if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, then, then, then maybe you can have a heart that understands. So as we read Ephesians, I wanna encourage, here, here's my question. Are you good ground to which God's word can bear fruit? And so we wanna, as we open up his word of scripture, this is one of the things that matters. And this, this word of God that wants to descend in our hearts to be transformational for us, it's not about what we can do with it. And I'm leery of people who use God's word for their own selfish gain. You need to be careful with that. But the real question is, how does God's word wanna impact the way I live? how I treat the people around me, how I navigate the world that I'm in. That's the real question. How do we have good heart so that we can bear fruit? So having said that, let's go to Ephesians chapter two as we dive in to these massive concepts. Ephesians chapter two, starting in verse one, I'm gonna read most of the chapter or all of the chapter and then we're gonna pull some stuff from this, but I'm really gonna focus on the beginning portion of this chapter for today. So it says this, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All, uh, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following the desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature serving, uh, deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, I love, that's one of my, that phrase that stuck around me all week as I was studying this, rich in mercy. And I'm imagining, by the way, Jesus on the side of the hill, he maybe didn't seem like he was rich in, in wealth or in armies, but do you know, even then, Jesus was rich in mercy. I just, oh, rich in mercy, that phrase has been ringing in my ears. He made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that uh, in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness through, through, uh, to us in Christ Jesus, verse eight, for it is by grace that you have been saved. Through faith, this is not from yourselves, it is a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What an un if you're gonna memorize a passage of scripture, that is a solid passage to memorize. And then verse 11, we'll continue on. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who recall themselves the circumcision, which is done in the, bod uh, done in the body by human hands, remember that at the time you were separate, uh, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made two groups one and has destroyed the barrier dividing wall 
up the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we're both, uh, through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of this household, built on this foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself, the chief cornerstone, Matthew, Matthew 16, for he is the cornerstone. On this, on this rock I will build my church. Uh, anyway, in, in verse 21, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple of the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. What an amazing passage of scripture. So I'm gonna focus on a couple things. I can't do all of them because there's so much, but here's, I wanna start off with this. The first focus is the beginning of this passage, which is this spiritual death. And can I just give you a thought? We are more than our bodies. We are more than our bodies. Paul starts off by saying this, that we are completely dead. When I was a kid, we were living in Lima, Peru. My parents were serving in a large church there in downtown. And I'll never forget running through the building. It was before service was starting. And I went into one of the rooms. And when I went into one of the rooms, I think we were playing hide and go seek or something like that. When I went into one of the rooms, immediately as I, turned, as I came into the room, I saw something that I had never seen before in my life. I witnessed a dead body and it was in a casket, but it was in a casket that was unlike any casket I have still, I have yet to see. It was a casket made completely of glass. So young Jeremy was having the time of his life playing hide and go seek and I went into the wrong room of church and it was like the scariest scene of a movie I've ever seen. It was the first time that I'd ever witnessed a dead body in my life. To be honest with you, I still have that image singed in my mind. And out of all the things, it was a glass casket. Like, anyway, so, can I, I, wanna, I wanna make, the, listen, we are more than just our bodies. That's what Paul is writing here. And being more than our bodies, there are things that we cannot always fully understand and we fully can't see, but impact us deeply. Some of the greatest pain in your life is not physical pain. It's the pain of the heart pain of the soul, areas of your life that you have these deep questions and longings for. We are more than just our bodies. And what Paul is writing here, he's saying this. He's like, yeah, your body might be alive. You might carpe diem all day. You might be in great shape doing everything good. But your spirit person, the one that Jesus said needs to be born again, is dead. And in that death, because it is dead and because it is not alive, it is subject to the world around us. That's what Paul writes in the beginning. Let me just give you some thoughts of what this means. Ready? That means that when you're born and you're not born again in the world that we live in, the world dominates all around us. You can't escape it. When, I, when, when my daughter was five, this is right before we started Renovation Church in the theater across the street, we went, my family and I, in the stress of launching Renovation Church, we took a family vacation. My mother-in-law came into town and we went to Williamsburg, Virginia. I love, I love history stuff. By the way, I'm, like my daughter and I are the only ones who like history stuff. So I forced the rest of my family to go to Williamsburg to look at the old stuff. They hated every minute of it. And my daughter was five, she hated it too. I had the time of my life. So I know, we haven't been back since. So we're gonna celebrate nine years. But that was like two days of that. And then we had, and then I took my daughter to um, Bush Gardens. 
which is, yeah. I, and so I wasn't sure if she would like roller coasters. First time taking her to a theme park. She went on the roller coaster. She was tall for her age. And so she could get on some of the bigger roller coasters and she loved it. But of course, as you go to a theme park, there's lines. So we're walking across Bush Gardens. This is in Virginia. And I see that there's a massive haunted house and it's got no line. And I'm like, this is a great play. No line. She's tall enough. So I, so take my five-year-old daughter and sit her in a seat and it clamps down. And the moment it clamped, I'm like, this is a bad idea. Her mom's gonna, <laughs> my wife is gonna kill me. And if you've ever been to it, it's like, it's not, it's, it's like a 3D, but it's like, it, it's like these video screens of things jumping out at you. And so <laughs> immediately my daughter was terrified and saying, why did you do this to me, daddy? <laughs> and so I take my body and I cover her up and it's the loudest thing you've ever, like wolves and witches and all these evil things shouting. And I'm like, it's okay, sweetie. It's okay, sweetie. Daddy's got you. Don't tell mommy. It's okay, sweetie. Daddy's like. <clears throat> and it was terrifying. <laughs> and this, that's, that's silly. But, and, and, and I, yeah, anyway, haven't been another hot house since with, with my kids. But the world we live in, the world we live in, if, if you have no hope is, I've lived in six countries. Can I tell you that every country I've lived in is broken? Because the world is broken. There's no man-made answer to solve the brokenness of the world that we are in. There's not a man-made answer. And anyone who tries to say, well, let me come up with a solution to make it better in the world, because there's all these things that come at you in the world. There's greed, there's envy, there's selfishness. You name it, in the world that we live in, we hype up all of these things that end up maybe helping one person, but helps destroy a bunch of others. And the world that we live in is like that. It's surround us, it's all around us. And, and how do we navigate it through it? There are some beautiful things in the world for sure, but those things were created by God. And then when sin entered into the world, brokenness entered into the world, and it caused us to say, how do I get through this? And what Paul is saying is this, is that we were all born into a world that is all around us, and it dominates everything, and we are dead because of it. We don't have a way to navigate through it. Who's around us to say, wait, this is not how it was meant to be? Who's around covering us saying, this is not what this is supposed to be like? And we go through life, and it's hard because the world is broken. That's what Paul is writing here. And so, so the world is broken. Let me give you another one, ready? So the world dominates all around us and then the flesh dominates from within. The flesh dominates from within. This is all of us in this room. Paul says this, how come I do the things I don't wanna do? All of us have said that. Man, I shouldn't have said it that way. Man, I'm such a jerk sometimes. Why, why, why didn't I step in this situation when I should have? I remember is vividly running through the airport one time. And this is the airport in Atlanta, which, man, if you travel through Atlanta, God bless you. And I'm going through, and there's a security line over there, and I'm going to my security line. It's a different gate area, and so I'm having to go through that. And I remember, it was like pretty far away, seeing a dad who was in the security line, and he just started yelling at his little daughter. And I say little, she probably was 10, and he is screaming at the top of his lungs at that girl. How dare you? I told you you should have done this. How come you didn't do this? And you could just see all the heads in the security line turning and looking, and this girl's head just went, and you just see tears. 
And I'm, 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 like, I, I, I'm like down there and I'm looking at that and I'm like, man. And this bigger, and he's just yelling at her. And all of us, we could look at that and say, how dare he, all of us are just like him. It's so easy to point out the wrongs in others without acknowledging the wrongs in us. All of us have fallen short. And how dare any of us think that we're better than somebody else just because we might be a little bit better than the other. We're not. The Bible says all of us are sinners. Now think about that man. And when I was on the plane, I, there was, I, I was running late. I got on the plane. The first thing I began to do is I prayed for that little girl. And Paul is writing in Ephesians 2 and he says we're born into a world in which we have these desires that consume us to act in ways that we don't want to act and do things we shouldn't want to do. Is there any hope for the world around us and the flesh within us? And then Paul writes about a third thing. He just, you read it in Ephesians 2. He writes this, ready? The devil who dominates from beyond. You have a world that dominates around us. You have the, the flesh that dominates within. And then you have Satan, the enemy, who Paul writes about. And he is beyond. In a world that we can't see or fully understand, the spiritual world. I'll share with you a, so this is a personal story. I debated about, anyway, so when I was in high school, I was a senior in high school when I knew that God was calling me into full-time ministry. And not terribly long before I was gonna be moving to college to be able to study, to be able to do ministry, I knew God's calling was on my life. It was the, one of the most wild experiences. I've had several supernatural, truly supernatural experiences in my life, and this is one of them. In my room, at whoever knows what time in the morning, it would have been late, it would have been, because I got in late, so it would have been like one, two, or three in the morning, I'm dead asleep, and in my sleep, immediately, I can't explain it any other than I'll just tell you how it was. I felt the biggest weight fall on my chest, and immediately when I was sleeping, the room, the room that I was in got really, really, really cold. And then, the room was dark, and no one was in there. I felt two hands grab my throat. It was, I, I, it was, it was more real than I can explain. So, Paul writes, and he has, we have some real issues. We have a world that dominates all around us. We have a flesh that's within us, and then we have an enemy, Satan, who is beyond us. What are you to do with these things? So then Paul says, well, listen, while all that stuff is very true, you know what we have? We have Jesus. And this is why this is so incredible. I want you to see this, ready? So we have a spiritual death. We're more than just our bodies, but guess what? That's not the whole end of it, ready? We're made alive. Why? Because Jesus is more than enough. Yes, he is Jesus, but he's also Christ. He's the anointed one. He's the Messiah chosen by God to put death in its grave. And this means several things. It means some significant things. Oh my gosh, Jesus making things alive in Christ. When I went to Saudi Arabia this last January, um, I got a chance to go with several pastors in the upstate and two of the pastors were from Hope Church that are in this area. And Hope Church right now is in the process of putting one of their churches in a place that used to be a strip club. If you lived in Greenville for long enough, you, you remember it was Platinum Plus. And by the way, Hope Church has gotten all kinds of flack for putting a church in there, which I think is ridiculous in the name of Jesus. What is more gospel than taking a place and turning it for a church? 
So this is what I think. Every time I drive by it, when I go to our Greenville location and I see all the construction, do you know what I think? It used to be this, now it's gonna be this. And then when I was in Saudi Arabia, I'm talking with them and they're like, man, they said that some vile stuff has been said about them. And I was like, how amazing would it be if you had people who used to go there when it was that and now we're gonna go here when it's this. And he said, we have people just like that in our church. Now, how amazing is that? So Paul writes in Ephesians and he says this, he goes, the world is all around us, the flesh is within us, the Satan is beyond us, but Jesus made us alive. He, he, he took what was, what was bound for destruction and he said, I have a different plan for this place. I'm gonna tear down the walls, I'm gonna change the shape of it and what was once used for this is now gonna be used for this. That's the story of many of us in this room and Ephesians 2 highlights it. How good is our God? So, three things quickly, ready? Remember the first one is that the world is all around us. Well, you know what Jesus does? He, he, he shares with us this, the world is not our home. Yes, this world is broken, but guess what? This world is not the only world we're bound for. Jesus said in John 14, I'm going to go prepare a place in my father's house. My father's house has many rooms. So he's going. What he came to do for us was to say this world is hard, this world is broken, but guess what? It's not your final destination. When I, when I was a kid, we, we were, my parents being missionaries, we would travel visit churches in the States, and we went up to a church in Maryland. It was a large church. And one of the people in their church allowed us to lit, stay in their home while my parents were up there. Now, I grew up very poor. I say it this way. I grew up very po. We were so poor, we couldn't afford the other O and R. Like, anyone who grew up po knows what I'm talking about. Very poor. We had nothing. And so we truly didn't have a lot of stuff. My parents just, they, they survived on faith. And so, anyway, so we're in this church. And, and the house that we stay at was, was a professional baseball pitcher named Scotty McGregor. And we went there, it's like the biggest house I'd ever seen in my life. The biggest TV, the biggest kitchen. It had like so many, it had like bedrooms for bedrooms. Like everywhere. And then the basement, an entire basement. He had kids that were my age, all stuffed with toys. I thought this is the greatest place I've ever seen in my life. Heaven is so much greater than that. Jesus says, I'm gonna go prepare a place for you in my father's house. There are many rooms. This world is not your home. So this is what this means for us as Christians. The power of the world all around us, we don't live for the world, we live for more. We're passing through. We can actually deal with the, the difficulties of everyday life because we're not living for now, we're living for beyond now. It changes how we live and what, how we think about things. It also changes when things come our way that we would never want. You've heard this story before, I'm sure, but again, I'm a, I'm a history person and we love worship here at Renovation Church. A, 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 a well-known hymn that you know about. Well, the story of this hymn goes like this. In 1873, a wife and four daughters were on their way to Europe. And the man's name was Horatio Spafford. And he couldn't quite come to Europe yet. And so he sent his wife and four daughters ahead of him on the, on the trip. While they're venturing across the Atlantic in their, in their boat, their boat hits another boat and it goes under, miraculously, or, or his wife is the only one to survive. They found his wife unconscious holding onto a raft. I can't even imagine when she became conscious and realized that all four of her daughters died. So she makes it to a place and sends them a telegram, and the telegram just says this, saved 
alone. So he hops in a boat and goes across to meet up with his wife and you just imagine the grief. And while he's on his way over to meet his wife, the captain knew that Horatio was on the boat, brings him up to where he is and he says, I wanna show you the spot where your wife's boat went down and where your daughter's passed. And while he's up looking at the very spot where his daughters died, it's, these words come. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way. And he goes back and he writes the hymn, it is well with my soul. And it says this, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. How do you do that with unbearable amounts of pain? Because this world is not our home. It's a blink of an eye, it's a vapor. And so the world would want us to live for now, not thinking about what's to come. But Jesus came, made us alive in Christ to say, listen, listen, the world is broken and I don't believe that God causes those tragedies, but I believe that God is good enough that in those tragedies to say it is not hopeless because I have given an eternity in which you can see your daughters again, in which there is no sorrow, there is no brokenness. It is perfect in all conceivable way. And then we can look at the worst that life has to offer and we declare it is well. Even though we may not feel it, we declare it. I have two signs in my house, in my wife and I's bedroom. It is, it is well with my soul. And they're right in between my bedroom and every morning when I get up, I walk by it and I see it and it means so much. So the world is not our home. Here's the next thing, ready? We are a new creation and there is no condemnation. Amen. Mm. There is, we are a new creation and there is now no condemnation. I told you about the pastors of Hope Church and how they're turning things around. Can I just say that it, it's, what, what, a, what a more beautiful thing than God would take, than God would take sinners like us and turn us around. And it says in Ephesians, ready, that we are God's handiwork. Think of, I'm not a handy person, but you know what I've come to learn about, and I'm doing a lot more projects around the house. You know what I've come to learn about doing projects around the house? It matters having the right tools. And for all the handiwork people, I had a Black & Decker drill for all of my life, which is a cheap drill, and, and which I've had, and I, I thank goodness for it. But a couple of years ago on Black Friday at Home Depot, I buckled down and I got a DeWalt drill. And if you know the difference, the DeWalt drill's enshrined in glory, angels are around it, you feel the power. What, what Paul writes in Ephesians, he says, out of all the, the, the handiwork, the things that God would use, he picked you. He picked you. That's how good God is, that he transformed you. I am so out of time. So, so the, th the flesh that's within us, God chooses us and he turns us around so that we can follow him. So the world is not our home. We are now not bound by the flesh. We are now transformed by Christ. And then lastly, greater is he that is in us. I told you the story of, you're like, you didn't finish the story <laughs> when I was in high school. So it, while I was sleeping, I felt the weight on my chest. I felt hands around my throat. This is almost as real today as I can, it's just incredible. And my room was cold. 
And I literally, as I'm laying in bed, started wrestling because I couldn't speak. It was a complete spiritual attack and I knew it. And I remember wrestling and I was, I was in shape, I'll say that. I'm a little bit bigger now, so I probably have a little bit more weight, but I was really in shape. I was captain of the soccer team. I mean, I was like skinny Jeremy. I was in shape Jeremy. Like not eat donuts all the time Jeremy. Like I'm like in shape and I'm wrestling and I could barely do it. Finally, in a moment, I realized what was happening. The, the hand that was gripping me slipped a little bit and I said, in the name of Jesus, I command you. And the moment that I said that, the game changed. And then I declared the name of Jesus and I declared the name of Jesus and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, whatever was in that room left the room and it was interesting while I was wrestling with whatever the spirit was and I can't even begin, I can't, I just, I, I can only tell you what I experienced. It was like, okay, the moment I declared the name of Jesus, it changed the game and then all of a sudden I was like, what the heck just happened to me? I turned all the lights on and left worship music on for the rest of the night. <laughs> like any shadow, I'm like, don't act like you'd be super spiritual either. Any shadow after that, you're like, what is happening? Can I just tell you something? It wasn't the name of Jeremy that did anything. It was the name of Jesus. So Ephesians 2 says this. Christ, out of all the places he could choose to live, in you, greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. So the world is not your home. The flesh is not the end because you have no condemnation. That means all the things that you wish you wouldn't do, God forgives you for and says, you can live differently. And then the enemy, your adversary, the devil who accuses you day and night, no longer has sway if you've been covered by the blood of Jesus. Made alive. And Paul writes, it's incredible. All at the name of Christ, who's God's anointed one, who came to do this for us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I... I wasn't able to get through all the things that I had on my heart to share. But I also know, Lord, that we, as we study you, and as we look at your word, and, and how Paul wrote in Ephesians, inspired by your Holy Spirit, Lord, to be able to speak, that we would resonate in our hearts today. Lord, these millennia later after this, this incredible letter was written, we can take and it's still transformative for us and where we are in a context and in a place and in a time so different from that which Paul wrote it. And yet those truths of your word ring true and loud to us today that you at your name still has the power to change, Lord, the world around us, the world within us and to rebuke and take authority over an enemy who despises us. We no longer have to live in fear for you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. So I pray, Lord, that Ephesians, this book, Lord, that the words that we read would fall on us in a good way. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for all that you do. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.